All right, guys, listen up. If you bet on sports, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do. Uh, the man that can help you make money this football season is the guy I trust with premium information, and that's John Price of SportsInformationTraders.com. John Price knows the lines better than anyone else in the country, and he specializes in line movement and value. So when you sign up with his company, you get the best lines and before the public even gets them. And he can help make you five times your investment in just 90 days. Here's what you do. You go to SportsInformationTraders.com right now and learn why John Price is the only sports wagering analyst with a weekly feature in Forbes magazine. Now, you want to win? I know you want to win. Put this number in your phone, 866-441-2711. Here's the number again, 866-441-2711. Call and ask about the 90-day special. Now, John Price, he's a proven winner, and he's been among the best for years with documented success in the Las Vegas Super Contest. 866-441-2711. SportsInformationTraders.com. Again, 866-441-2711. And the website, SportsInformationTraders.com. Watch football. Make money. It's really that simple. Welcome to episode number 35 of the Stick to Hockey podcast. It is the Bob Froze episode. Yes, we like Bob Froze. He actually, he's the one guy, I grew up a Ranger fan, you obviously grew up a Flyers fan, but he played for both. Yeah. And um, he, of course, was here after Pelly passed away. Yeah. Which was, what, 33 years ago? He was a good goalie. Yeah, he was. His equipment never looked like it fit him right, though. Like, no. It always looked like it was falling off him. No, and and he was the start. I feel like Bob Froze was almost the start of when people started liking the backup better than the starters in some instances. And that's pervaded all of sports now. Yeah. All yeah. Right, it's Russ Cohen, at Sportsology on Twitter, at uh, Jason Mert for myself, yours truly, and at Stick to Hockey Pod. And, boy, we have so much to get into today, it's almost absurd. But we have to start with the headlines around the NHL. And after a year when no coaches were terminated, it's now become in vogue to terminate coaches in a league that is so tight standings-wise right now, three three coaches have been zipped as of this point, and we're not even at American Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I mean, I'm not completely shocked because you could see it coming if things went horribly wrong. And then for the teams that we're going to talk about, they did go horribly wrong. But I don't think they're done. I think there's still a few more. That's the funny part. Well, the thing is, is the league is so tight right now with so many teams so bunched up in the middle. Like, any team can win any night and any team can lose any night. So but, I think people, the GMs are thinking, well, if I make a change now and I can just get a couple extra wins out of it, then yeah. I'm all of a sudden a playoff. I, I don't know if it's so much that, though, that they have to also know when you have fool's gold as a team, like mm-hmm. just because of the way the league is, yeah, I got a few easy wins there, so now we got some points that we probably didn't deserve. Like That's the hard part of all of this to navigate. Yeah, no question. And Scott Hartnell, by the way, is going to join us momentarily on the Stick to Hockey podcast. We'll get to the recently retired Scott Hartnell played over 1,200 games, but stay tuned. It's a lot of games. Gonna, but let's get to the coaches, and let's start with uh, Mike Yo and obviously the Blues. Um, they come into this season. They make a big trade in the offseason. They get Ryan O'Reilly. We know about Tarasenko and Jake Allen and everything that's going on there in St. Louis. Um, they didn't make themselves any faster as a team, and you see speed kills. But Yo, he gets fired after a 2 nothing loss to the uh, L.A. Kings, 
And in comes Craig Berube with the interim tag right now. What did you think of the move to terminate Yo, who was very aware that he was on thin ice? Yeah, I, we all knew. And and part of it is because of Jake Allen, and part of it is because of Jay Bomeister and just the way guys have aged and injuries, and, and it's all, all a part of it. The thing about Berube is, and we've seen him come in as an interim, right? He came in for Laviolette. When he picks up, when he's been an assistant on a team and he sort of picks up the ball in season, he's a good coach because he is like a player's coach. The players love him. It's always a nice change, and he always gets a lot of mileage out of him. But the problem with Craig Berube is the next year when you ask him to start off flat-footed, it's a completely different situation. And so like the first thing that goes through my mind, going back to when Berube was a Flyers guy, was he didn't like Steve Mason. Yeah. And that apparent. was and that was obvious, right? But now Flyers fans at times would kill to have a goalie like Steve Mason. So I kinda wonder, is he gonna be good for Jake Allen or is he gonna be better for like Billy Huso, the next guy in? Well the thing is too with Baruby, he's a guy that um commanded instant accountability when the message got lost from the previous coach. Right. And that's why he's good to come in, in this situation. I don't know that he can turn that St. Louis Blues team around. I think they're a flawed roster. They are to I a degree. Doug did a good job. They are to a degree, but they they injuries really have hurt them. I mean, they do have some very talented guys. I think if Bomeister picked up his play and and Fabry gets healthy and a few things happen, I think look the West is tough, right? Yeah, they have a an outside outside chance. Well, the thing about them too is you you look at it and you look at their situation. They've traded away. They have no draft picks coming up. I mean, yeah, they're they're the to replenish with young talent. It's just not there. I don't know how they get out of this if they can't turn it around. Well, they are a good drafting team, though. Mm -hmm. They are. And so, like, I don't worry about them replenishing it from that aspect because they've been a really strong drafting team. Matter of fact, a lot of the guys, Jaden Schwartz, a lot of these guys, Tarasenko, that we're talking about were all drafted guys. So I think they'll be able to replenish in that regard. It's just that right now there is a little gap Mm-hmm. In, in what's there at the AHL level to the NHL level. But I think also part of that goes back to shared affiliation in the AHL. I don't like it. Guys don't play enough, and I think it does slow down player development. Yeah, I don't like that at all either. By the way, I said three K coaches, four to be honest. John Stevens, obviously, Yo now. Uh, Joel Quenville, and then the other one, which we'll get to in a moment. Is Quenville a logical solution for St. Louis? Can you go back home? I mean, you can, but... But then why didn't he do it now? Like, he says he wants to come back now. He's, you know, a little vocal about it. We saw a quote somewhere. So, to me, if he didn't come back there now, then I think he's waiting to step into a job. Yeah, I think that he looks at that situation and goes, boy, I don't don't know if I have a goalie. Aging defense, does that sound familiar? Yeah, I I don't have a goalie. I don't have a ton of draft picks and all that coming. Uh, The prospect pool's not spectacular. Well, I don't know if that's a job that I want to take at 60 years old when I can just sit around and collect $6 million for doing nothing. He doesn't want to do that either, though. We know Joe Quenville. You believe Quenville. he wants to come back this I, year I in do. season? I do. I think if he—and again, there must be a short list that he has, and St. Louis wasn't on it. Like, maybe he's been there, done that. We all think, hey, he they probably would want him to go back, but he may not want to go back. Yeah, and it's his decision. Right. And if he waits to the offseason, then you can be in a totally different ball game where— you know, general managers can can see if he's interested and not yeah. fire their coach. But I don't think we would have seen the quote about him potentially coming back this year if he was really willing to sort of go fishing and forget about this year. I don't think he's willing to do that. Yeah, he's going to look for the perfect situation, and clearly yeah. that is probably not in St. Louis, and that is probably not L.A., because they're very similar no. in that regard, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got an aging Jonathan Quick in L.A., and you have 
uh, a lot of big, slower players in a speed league. All right, so let's go to, uh, you know, when you look at the situation now in Edmonton. Boy, what... Couple of, last year, a lot of people picked them to go to the Cup final. I'm not I sure was not did. one of them. Mm. I was not in on that. They had to prove it first, and that they could do more than just win a round of the playoffs or right. something. Um, they have the most talented hockey player in the world, and and Connor McDavid. And they have so much money tied up in he and Drysital. But McClellan's out. Good coach McClellan, but is this more of an organizational failure, or is this the right move to to move on from McClellan? I mean, this is an organizational failure, and lately a coaching failure. So. Again, he was eventually going to fall before Shirelli, mm-hmm. but this could be the last season for Peter Shirelli if things don't pick up. This is probably the last move he gets to make. I, I would think that that logic would, would tell us that. But here's the weird part, and again, this is the weird part. Now, I get why they got Ryan Spooner. I actually think he has a higher upside than Ryan Strom, and Shirelli was, you know, drafted Spooner, and he, you know, mm-hmm. so he played under him. However, I don't know if Ryan Spooner is a hitch guy. Ryan Spooner has a lot of like Patrick Sharp in him, and I just kind of think like Hitch is going to like immediately look at him and Dog ask house. him to play a two two hundred foot game, and he might be out of playing time again. Yeah, and again, guys like that, you don't want to put handcuffs on them. No, you hamper their creativity and their ability to do what they do. Sometimes you just have to accept the player is what he is and go. I'll live with some of the things in the D zone to get right. more offensively because I'm going to win the war and not just win the battle. Now, Hitch will love Kaylor Yamamoto. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Yamamoto would be a beast under Hitch because people, if they don't know, he is really gritty. For a little guy, yeah. he's fearless. So Hitch is going to love him. So And look, McDavid's McDavid. There's, that's, that's a great thing for Hitch. I mean, I doubt he'll even ask him to play any more defense than he already does. <laughs> I doubt he'll say much to him at all. Best player he's coached since Mike Madonna, I'm sure. Right? Yeah, so I don't think there's going to be a big conversation there. The big conversation is going to be taming that defense, because yeah. that defense is still not right. And that's what Hitch does, though. He does. He does do that. And, well, I but, thought Hitch you know, retired the last couple, already. But the last, yeah, but the, well, he doesn't want to stay retired, obviously. But the last couple times, like, you know, Dallas, you know, we look at Dallas. Dallas is better now without Hitch than with Hitch. And he, he made some moves, and they didn't work. And so it does kind of make me wonder... Can he do it here too? I mean, this is again. I, I just the, this it's is not, not a league. This is not a long term solution. Getting Ken Hitchcock as your coach. That's one thing that makes me a little nervous about this for the Oilers because when you get Hitch, you're talking about a two year thing at best, probably. And so, unless they're going gangbusters and he thinks they're getting to the Stanley Cup in year three, then maybe he stays. But he's going to yeah. be a year to year guy, I think. I, I don't know. I mean, this team has drafted so many guys. They've been through changes now. Like, there's years. We're checking off years off of Connor McDavid's, yep. you know, NHL career here. Yeah, and the other, th- and then you look at the Taylor Hall trade and some yeah. of the things they've done, and it, it's a bit of a head scratcher. And it's the one team that I always cite when they say, "Well, trade this guy or trade that guy." You know, right. Trade Drew. I go, well, yeah. you know, you don't trade your best player and an elite talent. You surround them. Right. Connor McDavid is the most talented player in the game right now. Is he the best player? No. He's the most talented though. And they have not. They, I mean, they didn't make the playoffs last year, and their coach just got canned. Right. I mean, you got to surround in this league today. Well, I tell you, and that's a down market fan wise. Like they are low. Mm-hmm. They are very good fans. I know some Edmonton fans, and they are loyal. But I saw the loyalty starting to wane a couple of years ago. Then I'm sure it picked up when they got a little better. I, I'm pretty sure they're they're getting close to being fed up. Yeah, and the Cam Talbot thing, great in the first year. Last year, not so much. And again, I don't know that it's the right move. 
Yeah, I, I don't think it's a horrible move. I think, again, we've seen him have success if the right defense is in front of him. Played a lot. I, he, he's played a lot. but mm. I, And he was an older guy to begin with. Like, people forget, he wasn't a young goalie like on the Rangers. There, right? Yeah. But I still think Hitch could be good for him because I think that's a good match right there. Yeah, and maybe, you know, the other part of that, too, is Hitch will clean up some of the high-danger opportunities in his D zone. Right. Accountability is... Hitch is a guy who will hold guys accountable. Oh, yeah. About it. Oh, you won't play. He'll, he'll wear them down to a nub. Yep. And that's usually when Hitch leaves. Um, <laughs> so so a couple uh, coaching changes, and do you expect to see any more? There's some other teams that uh, you could look at and say, well, what are they going to do? And a lot of people want to point to the Pittsburgh Penguins and, and Mike Sullivan because they're underperforming, but nah. Crosby's out right now. and Sullivan's safe. Yeah, I mean, he, he that team knows when they get on the gas. Yeah, you they do. worried about them? Should they be worried in Pittsburgh? They should be. I mean, when Casey the Smith is your goalie and defense is thin and now you like you said no Crosby and you know it's you know like Buffalo really did a nice job coming back on them I will say this six straight Buffalo is that what you're talking about yeah here's the thing though Sullivan and look if people go back and listen to old radio shows I did when he was a Rangers assistant I it was up and down with with me and him but when he got to Pittsburgh, he was a different guy because he didn't have to do so much tinkering because he had a lot of that talent. Now he's got to do a little more tinkering, but I think he's doing a pretty fair coaching job. I, I mean, I, you go look at that roster, it's not great. Well, the Murray factor, and you mentioned Casey DeSmith, yes. the Murray factor is, here's the fact of the matter, he hasn't been good enough for what he's getting paid. And he's his, not getting paid. His dad reason. passed away. Like, yeah, that, a lot going I, on. I do think there's an effect there that... And I think the fans have been really good, actually. I think most of them understand that and realize it's going to take some time for him to be right. And it's not even just about injuries now for him. It's more about mental. So they just have to sort of stay alive. I did notice this today, yesterday, and I maybe it was today, and I think this is something to keep an eye on. Craig Patrick was hired as an NHL scout by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now... Craig Patrick, to me, always gets tremendous credit because he's the one who traded to trade up to get Marc-Andre Fleury, which I felt like was the biggest reason that they went on a run. Yes, Crosby and Malkin mean a lot, but Fleury... But Craig Patrick's done a lot. He's He's been a coach. He's been a GM. Mm-hmm. He's been a scout. Like, you could literally put him in any of those positions, and that's like a Mario move. I think that's sort of like... Let's have Craig Patrick around and see what he thinks. Get his presence up there to advise, and yeah. Move the, and they just extended Rutherford too, and he, you know, yep. he never, he's never going to sit on his hands. No, Trace and Hagelin. I actually thought a, he would retire a few years ago, but now he's you know reinvigorated. So yeah, I just you know Craig Patrick, it's it's that's a smart move bringing him in because if nothing else. He may have some good ideas. All right, so let's, uh, before we get to Scott Hartnell in just a moment on the Stick to Hockey podcast, let's talk about this real quick because we were just talking about Matt Murray and timely goaltending is so important in a league right now that is so tight. You know, you look at teams and their goal differential, uh, you know, minus 10, plus 10. There's so many teams in that really gray area. So one goal in a hockey game is paramount. And you can't, you have to make the extra save or you have to, be able offensively, you have to be able to bury one extra chance. And uh-huh. It means all the difference. And you look at the teams at the top of the standings, and it's no coincidence that they're getting the best goaltending. No, Toronto I, I, with Anderson. Uh-huh. I mean, you look at Tampa. Vasilevsky's out right now. You look right. at uh, Buffalo's getting pretty good goaltending right now. Yes. You know, you look in, at Columbus with Bob didn't start off well, but he's getting it together. The Rangers, Lundqvist has been good. Yeah. I mean, you look at these teams, and 
it's pretty obvious why they are where they are. It's true. But I think over the long haul, because this is a small snapshot, I think over the long haul, you have to have those two guys. I think this is now a league where you really have to have two. Back in the day, I mean, the only, you know, again, Jockham and Villamir come up because they want to duel Vesna. And, you know, that was kind of weird for back then, right? Because they yeah. both were number ones. But if you if you go now and look, you have to have that tandem. Like Anaheim's got a great tandem. The rest of their team is not great, but any wins that they have, it's, it's a lot of it has to do with Gibson and Miller. And so, you know, I look at Minnesota's tandem. It's very underrated because you know Devin Dubnik, Alex Stalock. That is a really mm-hmm. rock solid tandem because Stalock is a guy that. He goes in there, the drop-off is not that great. He'll get you wins. Yeah. like with San Jose, too. Like, right now, the Flyers' drop-off is a cliff, oh. right? Because, you know, you, you've got... They're not even on a mountain to you, start. No, you've got <laughs> Pickard to start, and he's already halfway down that mountain from where you'd like to be, yeah. and the next guy in, you know, it's even worse. Yeah, he starts at base camp, um, yeah. and then now you're with Alex Lyon as the backup. Right, and I like Alex Lyon, but he just doesn't have the experience at the moment. So it, that's where it really can matter over time here. Um, Calgary, a team with Mike Smith that well, he had he's a, not even starting now. Yeah, he had a horrific outing the other night. He took it on himself. Yeah, but uh, that's another team with that same situation. But let's get to Scott Hartnell. He spent uh, over twelve hundred games in the National Hockey League. Was in the two thousand draft, taken sixth overall, and he joins us right now on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Scott, how you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you? Well, we're doing great, man. And uh, you decided to call it a career. Can you sum up uh, all those years, twelve hundred plus games in the NHL, in kind of uh, a couple of sentences? What a what a life it's been, number one. But uh, it's a wild ride. You get to play this game that you grew up just playing for fun. Uh, you get paid all sorts of kind of money, and and you have the fame and and all that stuff. And it's uh, you get to play a game for a living. And I couldn't pick any more uh, or any better of a career for myself. And just uh, uh, when when you know it's time. Uh, you got to hang it up, and, and it was time for me, And but uh, what a great run it was. Scott, it was a pleasure covering you. You were one of those guys that always came out, spoke to the media no matter what, good or bad. But I have a question about analytics for you. Since you were more of an old-school player, I'm kind of wondering, did anybody ever kind of walk up to you on any of your teams with the analytics sheet saying, hey, Scott, if you do X, Y, or Z, it will improve your game? Did that uh, ever happen? Um, yeah, when I first got traded to Philadelphia, John Stevens was the head coach and he brought me into his office before training camp, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, nervous meeting him for the first time. And, you know, he sat down and he said, uh, you know, you know how much time you spend with the puck, uh, average per game. And I was like, you know, just a trick question. I got thinking, right. I play, I play, you know, 17, 18 minutes a night. I'm like, well, maybe like 30 seconds, 45 seconds. And he's like, no, about 2.5 seconds, and I'm like, really? I'm like, well, you know, so I'm not the guy, I'm not a Claude Drew that's carrying the puck up the ice all the time for those four or five seconds, dishing it off. You know, for me, it's find an open area, shoot the puck, and, you know, it's on your stick, off your stick quick. And I was like, wow, that's that's an interesting stat. So uh, that was kind of, I think, the beginning of it. That was in 2007. Yeah, yeah. And now it's just taken to a another level with all this Corsica and these different uh, ways to keep track of guys uh, with how they're doing out there. You were sixth overall pick uh, way back, Scott. I'm going to take you way back to the 2000 draft. You end up playing uh, 1,249 games. You end up with 707 points. Could you have ever dreamed that that would have been your career, that you were able to, A, get that many games in and uh, really establish yourself as a, a big power presence in this game? 
No, you know, I think once I was getting close to a thousand, you know, you you start hearing, you know, how many people over the you know hundred and some years of the NHL, and you know, there's only just uh, you know two hundred and thirty some guys that have ever done it, and it's like, wow, that's in a hundred years, I'm I'm in some pretty elite uh, uh, people there, you know, Gordy Howe, uh, Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky, and uh, it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. So anyway, it's thinking about that, it's like, wow, I, I couldn't believe that. I was able to do that, and you know, on the points, it's uh, you know, you, I went to the hard areas in front of the nets and was able to you know have some go off my uh, you know skates and knees and you know ass and all that stuff, and was able to you know uh, have a pretty good career. Scott, you with the span of your career, you got to see the NHL change probably three or four times in my estimation, speed wise. What would you do each off season just to sort of be able to keep up with the pace? Uh you know, earlier on, it was uh, you know probably building a lot of strength. Uh, you know, coming in the league at at 18 years old, and you know once uh, the hooking and holding and obstruction got uh, taken out of the game in that 04 lockout, it was you know definitely a lot more speed. It wasn't uh, you couldn't hold up anymore, so it was almost uh, that, that probably benefited me the most because there was no holding up going into uh, forecheck on a defenseman, so mm-hmm. you could just you know line a guy up from the the far blue line and. You know, it wasn't like the, they were calling penalties like they are nowadays on a on a clean four checks or a clean hit. Sorry. So, uh, you know, that was kind of a fun you know ten years. And now it's uh, you know obviously with with head injuries and the speed of the game, they're they're taking away all the the dangerous hits, which they should. And uh, you know now it's all these kids coming in that are just flying around and uh, have all the skill in the world, and and uh, which which is fun to watch as well. So it's uh, it's been a, a great run, and yeah, you, like you said, it's been a, a few different. Uh, NHL styles that have kind of adapted and went from having a red line to no red line and uh, the touch icing to, uh, you know, what it is now. So, Scott, you uh, played your first six years in Nashville. They drafted you. You were there in the infancy of that franchise, but then you end up ending your career there as well. What did it mean to make it, you know, come around full circle and end it where it all started? I don't know how the, the city changed that much in 10 years. You know, the the fans were great when, when I started there in 2000. And then, you know, 10 years later, well, when I left 10 years later, 2017, it was, you know, it's, a, it's like a huge city down there. All the new uh, uh, hotels, you know, all the, the country honky-tonk bars, they added like two more floors and they're jam-packed every <laughs> night. And just the energy in that city is, is incredible every time we, we played at the Bridgestone Arena. So... Uh, the fans are a lot more knowledgeable now than they were back there, back then, and uh, it's just a, a really fun place to play. And as a fan, uh, that'd be definitely a top top two or three places where I'd buy uh, spend 100 and 150 bucks on a ticket and a beer and to go watch them play because they play a fun style of hockey too. Scott, you you enjoyed agitating, and I'm kind of wondering: was there one goalie that you really liked getting under the under his skin? You kind of knew that maybe you can get a goal or two for your teammates out of the, just this one guy. Uh, Lundqvist was always fun to play against. You know, Rangers, Flyers, uh, they uh, had a pretty, well, obviously do have a pretty good rivalry. And, you know, he's, uh, you know, I don't really know. I met him a couple times off the ice, but on the ice he's he's, he's friendly, but he he's wants to stop you just as bad as uh, you want to score. So <laughs> uh, get, getting one past him was, was pretty neat back in the day. Uh, you know, my early years, uh, Patrick Waugh, he was, uh, you know, obviously a, a stellar goaltender, but, you know, he had a little temper and, you know, kind of bumped him. And, <laughs> um, he'd give you a slash and, you know, getting a couple goals on him was, was definitely a highlight uh, in my early career. So just uh, you can go 
through every year. There's uh, some cool, cool goals that you scored on some, you know, Hall of Fame goaltenders. Well, I'm always intrigued by guys when they play. They can remember and their recall about games' specific moments in their career is so great. Can you take us back to that first NHL goal? Do you remember exactly how it happened and, and how it felt on that day? Can you go back there in your mind's eye? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we were in Boston, and it wasn't the prettiest of goals. I'm sure you could look it up, but it's uh, I was a typical Scott Hartnell goal. I was just driving the net. It was like a two-on-two, and Sebastian Bordalo uh, threw one at the net, and you know, I think it went off a, a part of me. I don't. It, I didn't. Definitely didn't shoot it in, but it uh, went off and, and into the net, redirected. And uh, you know, I was just obviously excited to get that first of, of many, I guess. And uh, I only got two goals my first year, so I know those ones pretty well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. You only scored two in seventy-five games in your first year, and you're high uh, with the Flyers in eleven, twelve. Uh, you scored thirty-seven, including sixteen on the power play. Yeah, so I I remember those those two at my first year, and I probably can remember 10 uh, power play ones that were probably in the slot. Uh, Drew passing me a one-timer. <laughs> so, uh, just right on that spot in the circle, man, you used to set up there. Exactly, exactly. It was pretty hard to defend. You had uh, Simmons down low, you had Tiemann making uh, some one-timers up top, and uh, Drew on the or uh, Borachek on the back door, so it was pretty uh, pretty lethal uh, power play. Scott, did you ever play with an illegal stick, like with an illegal curve? No, never. I always follow the rules, guys. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you're not cheating. You're not trying. Yeah. Well, guys no, are always looking for any kind of edge they can get, no doubt. Yeah. Scott, let's go back to uh, what was a magical run in the playoffs in 2010. You brought up uh, John Stevens earlier. He was uh, terminated from his position in December of that season. In comes Peter Laviolette. And his, uh, upon his arrival, things weren't fixed right away. It took a little bit of time, about 10 games for you guys to adjust to what Peter Laviolette wanted you guys to do. And then all of a sudden, it started working out for you guys. You got into the uh, postseason on that shootout against the Rangers, and then you go on a magical run. What do you remember about that playoff run to the finals and ultimately the Game 6 loss to uh, the Chicago Blackhawks? Probably, uh, well, Game 82 to get in. And, you know, it was going down to a shootout. I think we scored with five minutes to go uh, in that game. And, you know, Brian Boucher, you know, against Hank Lundqvist, uh, I think a lot of people would have picked old Lundqvist uh, out, uh, out say Boucher. But uh, <laughs> Bouche got it done. And next thing you know, we're, you know, going on in the first round. Um, you know, probably the highlight highlight of that whole thing was the comeback down 0-3 against Boston in the second round. We come back in game seven, uh, down 3 nothing. Uh, after the first five minutes of the game, and and come back to win that one. That one was uh, uh, it wasn't like we won the Stanley Cup, but it, it was just kind of so surreal. And then um, you know getting to the finals and having a battle with Chicago, and they were uh, an up and coming team, and um, you know it just wasn't meant for us to obviously win the Stanley Cup, but it was pretty special. You know my family was around a lot. It was just uh, just a magical magical time, I guess, in my uh, hockey career. One of the things, Scott, from from that run, and it's amazing that you guys were able to come back against Boston and then go into Montreal and face Montreal and ultimately win that series in five games. A lot of times after a high-emotion win like that and what seemed unlikely, especially at that time in the NHL, was it's hard to get that emotion back up, but you do. But let me take you back to that Montreal series in 2010. I think it was the first game there, game three of the series. Was there sand on the locker room floors? inside the Bell Center at that time. A lot of guys, I was with the team, traveling with them at that time, with you guys, and guys were coming off with skate issues, and I remember laying down uh, mats so you guys could walk on them. Was that Montreal playing some head games? 
Well, it, it, it wasn't the cleanest floor. I definitely do remember, and I remember <laughs> them uh, getting a bunch of new towels just to lay down so we could walk down to the ice. But uh, I guess any advantage you want to look at uh, for getting, um, I guess you try and do. But, uh, you know, it's all about to win the Stanley Cup. You need, obviously, a couple things. You need a lot of luck and, obviously, a great team doing it. But, you know, I think Montreal beat Pittsburgh in that uh, second round as well um, in Game 7. And, for us, we had a tough time with Pittsburgh Penguins, and we're like, well, if Pittsburgh were, you know, kind of in one, you know, we, we might not win, but then Montreal won, and we were gonna, we just knew we were gonna roll over them, and we end up going in five games. So it's just funny. It's all the, it's all about the matchups, and um, obviously you got to have your best players playing uh, uh, their best hockey, and then some role players picking up uh, the loose, uh, getting some loose change and stuff, and, and making a difference as well. Scott, in two thousand, the. Um the Nashville Predators opened up in Japan. Were you on that roster? I was, yeah. What was that like? I played my first two NHL games uh, in Japan. Uh, that's probably going to be a, um, a trivia question down the road. You guys will know. <laughs> <laughs> Where did Scott play his first two games uh, in Tokyo, Japan? But that, yeah, it was neat. It was, um, we flew from Nashville to Detroit and Detroit all the way to Tokyo. Wow. And, um you know, that first, it's, I think it was like an hour and 20 minute flight to Detroit. And, you know, I took my running shoes off because we got to wear, like, wear sweatpants and uh, just be comfy. Obviously, it's a, a, a long flight over there. Yeah. And I wake I wake up uh, after that flight and I have no shoes in front of me. So I'm the rookie walking around <laughs> with all my bags in my, uh, with just my socks. I'm in Detroit air- airport. And finally, uh, about an hour and a half later, one of the veterans uh, gave it back to me. So it was kind of a fun little start to my career. I never did that again. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scott, let me ask you about some of the coaches that you played for, because you played for some good ones. Barry Trotz as well, just won the Stanley Cup last year. I'm sure you felt good for him. Uh, Peter Laviolette, who uh, you played with here uh, under in Philadelphia and then ended your career in Nashville with, and you were in Columbus. Talk about the guys that really made an impression on you from a coaching standpoint and what you take into the rest of your life and what they taught you. Uh, well, I, probably my number one would be Peter Laviolette. He uh, um, is a guy that, that seems to motivate guys every day, practice and games. He makes practices fun. He makes them competitive. Um, you know, instead of just going out there and skate around shooting the puck, the, the drills are, you know, precise, they're calculated, and I think he does a real great job of, of switching and making it new every day, which is awesome. Um, and then the speeches that he gives, the uh, uh, the emotion that he has on the bench it just filters throughout uh, you know the whole the whole team I guess and then throughout the whole building right so um, you know Barry Trotz is a, a special man uh, one of the nicest guys that I've ever met in the hockey game and um, was a real kind of teacher for me and uh, made me accountable for you know a lot of things that I did out there and and uh, you know I'll give towards uh, John Tortorell some credit as well he. He's really turned that uh, Blue Jacket organization around, and you know, although we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, he, uh, I think he respected the way, you know, how hard I played and how I worked, and then, you know, I, I respect him just that, uh, you know, it's there's no there's no crap. It's just you know what's best for the team, and uh, um, I think it, uh, you know, it's obviously uh, filtered throughout that dressing room in the last couple of years. They've had uh, some great teams. Scott, you scored a hat trick, <clears throat> excuse me, against the Islanders at. Uh... At Nassau Coliseum, and Nassau Coliseum's getting uh, another run at it here in December. Was that a, a fond memory for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I can remember those three goals for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, but, you know, as for, for buildings, and uh, I don't know if that thing's up to code still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be ready uh, early December. 
Yeah, no, it's uh, it'll be cool to, to see some games there. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those arenas that you kind of you, uh, you didn't really like going in, but uh, that time the Islanders were not that good, so it was uh, uh, it was going to be a good night on the on the stat sheet uh, and two points in the team column. So it was always a good time. Scott, you spent so much of your adult life with Kimo Tiemann, uh, both in Nashville and here in Philadelphia. You know, lifelong bonds with guys that you you, you went to war alongside for so many years. Kimo is obviously one of those guys uh, that you have a very special connection with. Any other teammates that uh, you know that that you just really you know you guys got along both on and off the ice so well and made an impact on each other's lives. Yeah, Kimo is the best. He's. Uh, um can't say enough good things about him we've had a lot of dinners on the road and a lot of laughs and you know playing cards and uh you know i got married last summer and he was the best man at my wedding and uh just uh just a solid solid guy and you know there you meet a lot of obviously a lot of great guys throughout the game and um you know i think only a handful to be honest would be you know lifelong friends and him uh you know among, among a few other guys you know claude Giroux, jake borchek uh uh, Nick Foligno, Cam Atkinson, you know, those guys, uh, uh, I know I'm obviously missing a few, but those guys you definitely always kind of keep in contact with and, and uh, you know, cheer for them. Right now I'm cheering for, for all those guys to, for team success and uh, individual success. You got into quite a few fights, Scott, and I was just looking over your fight card on uh, on one of those websites. Is there one memorable one that you uh, that sticks in your mind? Uh, I think my first fight was Brad Marchment. Uh, you know, I think... <laughs> Wow, was he with Colorado at the time? He was with San Jose. Ah. And, you know, he was known for, you know, kind of some dirty knee hits. The knee stuff, yeah. Yeah, so I uh, I just wanted to, I guess, have a piece of him. And, you know, I, I was 18 and he was probably mid-30s, so I was probably a little out of my league. But, um, you know, and then I, you know, fast forward to, you know, last year playing. I'm 35 and, you know, I'm picking on these 18-year-olds. <laughs> So it's so funny. It's uh, how uh, how it all comes back, and um, you know, I was a, a young punk trying to take a, an older guy's job, and you know, he kind of for me it was it gave me fuel because I know what those young guys are doing and trying to get me out of the league, and so it's uh, it's a great sport. I, I love it. I, I actually enjoy, really enjoy watching the game now, and um, just uh, you know, watching these guys what they can do, and it's just uh, really enjoyable. Scott. Um making that decision to retire from a game that you've played since you were a little kid. Uh, so many of your winters were uh, decided on what you were going to do and how you were, uh, you know, your summers were going to go because you played hockey and training and everything that went with it. And is that, you know, kind of ratcheted up through playing in the NHL. How hard was the decision to make to walk away? It, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, you know, I thought I would miss it a lot more, you know, come training camp and, um, you know, the first few games of the season. But, um, you know, to be honest, it was just like I, when you know, you know, and it was like I don't think I have it in me to, to train like these young kids do to, you know, I almost have to train double as hard to do, you know, to keep up with those guys. And, uh, you know, I just kind of looked at my wife and, uh, you know, I had a couple months uh couple months son there and I was like, man, I'd rather be here and watch this guy grow up than, you know, be on the road for 12 days and, um, you know, sitting on the bench or getting scratched, things like that, kind of how the last couple of uh, years ended. And I was like, I'd rather be enjoy, uh, watch these guys play rather than, uh, you know, kind of being miserable around the rink. So um, it was, uh, I don't know, it was, it, it is hard. I guess I want to say I miss the, the road trips. I miss the guys around the locker room, but uh, you can get those in, in other areas as well. 
Scott, uh, when you're, what's next for Scott Hartnell? I know you're moving back to the Philadelphia area, and uh, why did you decide to make this uh, this place your home to put your roots down? And uh, what's next for Scott Hartnell? I, my wife's family is from the area, so it's nice to have some some family around with a, with a young family. Uh, you know, I love the area. Philadelphia fans, obviously, there's there's, there's nothing better than those guys. So uh, I'm not sure if I'll. Uh, I'm, not, I'm in no rush to get to do something to have a nine to five job or to be scheduled to do something. I'm just uh, I'm enjoy waking up at seven with my son and have a couple cups of coffee and <laughs> uh, you know just kind of relaxing. So I, I'm in no rush to to force myself into doing something I've earned the earned the right to take some time off and. And definitely enjoying it. Do you have any desire to get back into the game, and whether it's in a, a management capacity or coaching or anything else? Ah, uh, well, there's a few coach coaches' jobs open right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're about to talk about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is, uh, uh, but nothing. No, I don't want to. You know, when you're a coach, you're almost at the ring double than uh, what you are as a player. So uh, they spend a lot of time on film and matchups and line combinations, but. Um, you know, I think I might uh, try the analyst uh, part of, uh, uh, you know, being on TV, talking about, uh, you know, these guys, how they're playing, uh, analyze the game a little bit. But other than that, I'll, uh, I'll stick, away for, uh, stick away from coaching right now. Well, well, Scott, I mean, going back to that 2010 last question for you, I, I remember, you know, you and I had uh, the, the most gnarly beards of anybody involved. <laughs> And I have a picture in the cup final. I think it was after, like, game four or five, maybe it was in Chicago. And you and I look like two Yukon Jacks there. That was a good beard you had going, man, with the hair and everything. It was a good look for you. Yeah, yeah. It looked uh, uh, like I shouldn't be playing hockey. I should be on a street corner. But <laughs> <laughs> You and I both, man. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it, that's the one cool thing about hockey. You can let yourself go there for uh, you know, for a couple months if you make a good run in the playoffs. And it was just uh, looking around the dressing room. Some guys can grow them, some guys can't. And that's, that's probably the, the best part about it. Yeah, Danny couldn't grow much of a beard no. for hair. He was not a good beard guy. JVR couldn't grow anything either. He was a baby face, and he still is a baby face. Look, every year I laugh at Sidney Crosby. He still can't. Yeah, still trying to grow. It's like some kind of weird-looking, like a bad old Italian movie mustache thing <laughs> yeah. that he's got going on. Wait, but he's got the hardware, yeah. so he'll take it. Uh, Scott, Hartnell down. That's the last thing i got to ask you about. Is that going to follow you for the rest of your life? Yeah, yeah, it's I'm awesome. Not sure what capacity we'll we'll keep doing it, but Good. you know, it, it was a, it was a great thing that uh, was able to raise uh, you know a bunch of money when I was playing to to send some kids to to hockey school to um, experience something that uh, a lot of kids wouldn't be able to. And um, I'm not sure how much I'm going to be falling after hockey, but uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, try and keep that going. Well, just stay away from Coatsy at the bar, and you'll be upright. You'll be good to go, brother. <laughs> hey, Scott, um, we really appreciate you uh, doing this today. And, um, you know, I know Russ feels the same way I do. You were one of those guys that we love to cover oh, yeah. and love to deal with on a day-to-day basis with the team, both in between periods when things didn't go so well. Matter of fact, you came into my room one time, and I think you took a penalty late in the period, and you tomahawked my broadcast table. <laughs> and I had a brand-new can of Copenhagen there, and it exploded. And I came in the next game, and you had three for me. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> well, that was a great gesture. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, best of luck, Scott. We'll be definitely talking to you up the road, and uh, good luck with the move and the young family and everything else. We appreciate this. I appreciate it. Have, have a good one, guys. There he is, Scott Hartnell, who uh, finishes his career where it started in Nashville, and we appreciate him joining us on the Stick to Hockey I used podcast. to have Scott Hartnell hair back in the day. but You did? I did. I have pictures, yeah. I never had the curly, uh, I did. crazy I'll, hair. I'll, that although, I'll, I'll admit it, the curly part was... 
was bought. Okay. Oh. But it was just easy to take care of because I always had long hair. Okay. Well, I had the mullet back in the 80s, you know, ha- hanging yeah. out the back of the Cooper helmet. Yeah, actually, you know, it's funny. Now there's that Ford commercial that talks about the um, the long in the back and the business up front. Yeah. And they talk about trucks that way. And I'm thinking, are you trying to just sell trucks to people with mullets? Is that <laughs> is that the market? Like, I don't know. All right. So we're 25% essentially through the NHL season. And we got a lot to get to here. But I, I put a task to you to name the three best players in the league right now. So who do you... So am I going 3-2-1 or 1-2-3? let go 3-2-1. Okay. And this can be defenseman, forward, winger, center, goaltender, whatever it is. Who are Russ Cohen's top three players in the National Hockey League as we sit here on the 19th of November in 2018? Okay. I don't have a goalie in there. Okay. I, I would agree with that right now. I don't even have a defenseman in there. Really? No defenseman. Okay. So here's my number one. Well, three. But the first guy I'm talking about, Elias Pettersson. So here's the funny... This is based on this season, by the way. This is based on, you said, right now. Yep. Right now, he's forgetting about the Calder, because if he stays healthy, he'll win that. He is one of the best players in the league. 11 goals, and he had 10 in his first 10 games. 12 in 17 games. Wow, yeah. But here's the funny thing. So leading up to this, last year, I was at the rink talking to Shell Samuelson about Elias Pettersson, and we did it for about a half hour. And I can't think of any two people, any other two people in that rink during an intermission and more uh, that would actually talk about a prospect that's not even that team's prospect for that long. And he, you know, couldn't stop giving his praises. And I loved him anyhow as a prospect, but I kind of thought, hey, he's got to get a little stronger because he's skinny. Here's what he did last year, though. He was the SHL MVP. He was the playoff MVP. He was the rookie of the year. And he was the forward of the year. Other than that, he had a pretty good year. Yeah, and that's in a, in a league against men. Yeah. So now he comes into the NHL, and he has 12 goals in his first 17 games, 19 points in his first 17 games, 1.12 goals per game average because he had a concussion. Mm-hmm. And, and I got really mad because I heard some analysts talking and saying, well, if he was you know bigger, stronger, that wouldn't have happened to him. But you stop. know what? Yeah, 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 yeah. TJ Oshie's big and strong, and it happened to him too, yeah. right? By from he got Josh Morrison. <laughs> right. So and it's a leverage thing too. But had not, that not happened, he would have even more points. And so I'm going this is like the Mario Lemieux argument with points per game. But this is a guy walking into the best league in the world. Rookies don't usually walk in and have a you know points per game like that. And and I remember four or five games into it Guys on an XM were like, hey, you worried about Pedersen? He hasn't scored in like five games. I'm like, no, man. This is just a, a little a little wall, and that's mm-hmm. all it was. He got right back to it. Yeah, blip on the radar. So your number three is Elias Pedersen, who you Correct. coincidentally picked for the Calder. Yep. And maybe we'll debate that later, because I think that there's another guy that may have a say in that who's really playing well. Yep. And that would be a defenseman from uh, Buffalo, Rasmus Dahlin. But your number two. Number two is Connor McDavid. Because, again, I go back and... Points are obvious, right? I don't have to cite his points. But you said something that was great early on, and that was players around him. I mean, sometimes he has dry sound around him. Otherwise, who the hell does he have around him? And he still produces amazing points. He Guys can't win games alone. Wayne Gretzky didn't win games alone. You go look at some of the teams he had, and he had amazing players with him. Connor McDavid's not had a lineup like that yet. We've not seen him yet with, like, Three full lines of really good players and at least a top four and a solid goalie. If you did that, I don't even know what Connor McDavid would be like. It would be unbelievable. So, Connor McDavid. Yeah, you can't argue with that one. And he's got 28 points right now, 12 goals, 16 assists. I'm going to say you're number one. Can I guess your number one? Sure. 
Miko Rantanen? No. No? So you're going Nathan McKinnon? Nope. And you're not going a defenseman? Nope. Uh, I don't know, maybe a Pittsburgh Penguin? It is Sidney Crosby, but this is why. So I would love to, and, and McKinnon's like 1.45 points per game, which is insane. Yeah. So when I was looking at it, and I've always been a big McKinnon guy, I voted for him for the MVP last year, should have won it, even though Taylor Hall won it, no offense, Taylor. Um, but here's the thing. They do have each other. Who the hell does Sidney Crosby have on a nightly basis on on the Penguins? He doesn't get to play with Malkin. He plays some power play with them. Yeah. But who the hell does he have? I mean, Connor Sherry's even gone. Yeah. So the fact that he is still as impactful as he is, and the thing is, it's not even just about points with Crosby. It's everything. Wayne Gretzky was a great point guy, right? He never played the kind of defense or gritty game that Sidney Crosby plays. And I'm not saying it's a much different league that's it's way a much harder different too. league. Yeah. yeah. No. And I and I'm not saying that Crosby's better than Gretzky. I'm not. It is just a metamorphosis of what you have to be as a player in this league. But there's nothing Sidney Crosby can't do on a hockey rink. And if he feels like he's not number one in that category, the next season you see an improvement. Oh, he is. Even even at this age. Yeah, a couple of years ago, he's like, I got to get better at face-offs. And he right. came back next year, way better. Yeah. I mean, he's going to end up being a top four all-time player. He will. I mean, when you look at league I know Flyers scoring, fans will groan and, you know, you appreciate Darian that. Hatcher gave mm-hmm. him his first black eye. I get it. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, you look at him and you go, you just got to respect from a game standpoint the way he plays the game at this point. You do. He had some immaturity things earlier in his career. Yeah. And he was a bit of a, a douche on occasion. Yeah, oh, no question. But he but is the, a tremendous player. But he he is a great ambassador for the game. Okay, so your top three. Uh-huh. And you can rip if you want. Rip away, man. No, well, the Pedersen thing, I might be a little... I, I get the numbers, and they've been great, and... Um, and he's, Who does he play with, by the way? Yeah, and look, I, yeah, I get it in Vancouver, and, <laughs> um, and that's a team that may be on the rise a lot quicker. Than you know, they thought. will be. Yeah. No, no, they will be. Yeah, I mean, ranting and what he's done so far is yeah. just. It, but again, that line is probably the best line in the league right now through yeah. twenty games. But if you play, if you play against the Vancouver Canucks, you're game planning now against a rookie. That's crazy, yeah. You know, right. and, and Besser, and I don't want to take anything away from Brock Besser. He's a great player, but he's been a little bit in and out of the lineup. And so you're game planning now against Pedersen. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So Russ's top three, Elias Pedersen, uh, Connor McDavid, and Sidney Crosby. It's a good list. I'm, I'm surprised you didn't go any D-man on there. I just feel if you like... you had to extrapolate it out to a D-man, who would be your number one guy? If I extrapolated it out to a D-man, and it's funny because, you know, right now... Unfortunately, Dowdy is not that guy because his team is down. Yeah, team success has an impact here. Yeah. it's and Carlson um, hasn't gotten his feet completely under him. I, here's the funny thing. Am I going to pick another rookie and the guy who you're saying is contending? Rasmus I might. No. Thomas Shabbat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good point. Go look at Shabbat's point points. The, in it's the insane. Incredible, yeah. And, and again, on that team, who the hell does Thomas Shabbat have? I mean, Cody Cece is not a lot. So Thomas Shabbat is putting up Eric Carlson numbers, like he is. Yeah, no question about it. So I might have to go Thomas Shabbat. All right, so, okay, so that's your top three. What's the latest on the uh, Nylander situation? So the latest on the Nylander situation is we we all are pretty much in agreement, the whole world, that he's getting dealt. Mm-hmm. And, and Kyle Dubas had been around the town and... Definitely saw a lot of teams. Carolina had been living in Toronto, still still there. 
And so that's a, a pretty big deal. I'm looking, by the way, at Shabbat's numbers. 24 points in 21 games as a defenseman. Yeah, it's crazy. And I believe he is still a rookie. So there you go. So that's that's another Calder guy, possibly. But anyhow, getting back to it, with Nylander, I heard from somebody who does talk to GMs that they expect more action out of the West than the East. Because they want to deal him to the West? Probably. Yeah. Probably. And probably because Carolina hasn't added up the right guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brett Pesci was thought to be the guy, but then he got nicked up a little bit, so maybe he's not. Justin Falk is certainly not the guy. Jacob Slavin, I think, is the guy that the Leafs are salivating over, but Carolina won't give up. I mean, remember, they've still got Jake Bean coming in the mix at some mm-hmm. point. They have uh, Flurry there, who's you know a big, strong kid. So they have defensemen to give. It's just a matter of which one, and, and I still think it'll be a four-player deal when it's all said and done. But right now, if I'm thinking about out the West, I would think Minnesota or Anaheim. They are loaded with defensemen still. And now Minnesota, I hear, doesn't want to give up Dumba. I get it. I'm huge on Dumba. Shane Malloy, who does you know Hockey Prospect Radio with me, got sick of me talking about Matt Dumba in his, in his, mm-hmm. in his draft year. But he's turned out to be a really solid player. Would Brodeen... Be that next guy or Spurgeon, like you know they. There's a good good group there, and so I think you have that. And then with Anaheim now Fowler, you know that kind of fouls things up. No, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, with the injury, but they still might be able to hedge their bets and trade a Brandon Montour and and get away with it until Fowler gets back. Well, the one one thing we know for sure, it's a D-man going in exchange. Yeah, the D-man is the first guy that gets talked about, and then you balance it out. We'll give you another D-man, you give us, yeah, Yeah, and another forward, yeah. Um, When you look at the the Flyers, uh, Dubas was in Philadelphia a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think it's dead there. You think that that's dead? Dead. And and I don't think it's the right move for another pass-first option up front for the Flyers. Yeah, I think I think it was alive because Dubas saw that, hey, Travis Sanheim's looking really mm-hmm. good. And then I think it was dead because Ron Hextall said no. Is stubborn and stubborn and said no. Uh is there is there let me give you three defense or two defensemen from the Flyers and, and tell me who you'd rather them give up. Sanheim or Goss Despair? No, I'd rather give up Goss Despair for two reasons. We're not in agreement. Because I think that would get Provorov out of his funk because then he would be the guy, and he actually has a more accurate shot than Shane Gossespierre. Now, again, they're not as flashy of goals, and they're not going to be as many, but half the battle is literally just shooting it near the net and getting it on your you know, your teammate's stick yep. and getting it in there, right? And Gossespierre, God, how many times do we still see him? The other night, a couple games ago, he only had... In the third period, three registered shots on that, and then some were blocked for sure. And boy, he had a lot that hit the glass. Yep. And so I think the Leafs would take him without question. But again, I do think Hextall is sort of hedging on that. He may be looking to trade Wayne Simmons, but it's not not an easy thing to do because even though he scored a couple goals recently, I think we all see there's a little more, a little less tread on the tire than you'd like. Well, you were a guy. I believe that said they should resign him. Yes, if are it was you, are their, you altering that now? No, I. I always sounds like you're altering. No, no, no. I if if look if Wayne Simmons walked in there tomorrow and said, "Give me a three year deal at at even at seven, I would do it 
because then the term is not bad. I think you can get two more really solid years out of Wayne Simmons. It's not like he's fallen off a cliff. He yeah. hasn't. And and so I that would be fine, and it would keep the room good. And But he's not going to do that. But he that wants room five. Needs to be shaken up anyway. Yeah, but he wants five. And, yeah. four, and, and he's going to get five. Yes. And years four and five, I'd be very worried about Wayne Simmons. So that's where... You know, so yeah. I'm not hedging, but but I don't. I think the Flyers is dead with Nylander unless Hextall all of a sudden magically changes his mind. But he's got like a week and a half left to do it. Yeah, and that probably is not going to happen. Right. Okay, so let's talk about Simmons further or this core of the Flyers team. In my opinion, it is time to make a deal that substantially makes that locker room uncomfortable, and that's going to involve a core player. Yeah. I can now, see that. There's some guys that you, you're not going to touch, and that would be Provorov, Giroux. Those are guys I'm not touching. Right. But anybody else at this point could be considered in that equation. So you would trade Konechny? I would consider it for the right deal. I wouldn't. I. I don't. I'm not looking to do that. Uh huh. But for the right deal, I probably would. Because the other, the last game, he finally showed a few signs of maybe snapping out of this and playing a little smarter and yeah, getting down goals. Five one, he got a power play goal, make yeah, it five yeah, two. Yeah, and we well, got a couple goals that game, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He ended up with two, both on the power play, right? Um, and they ended up scoring three power play goals. Hey, listen, getting power play goals these days in this town is oh my goodness, <laughs> is a hard thing to do. Yeah. So I agree with you. I but yeah, I don't think it'll end up being like a Konechny. But again, it has to be Simmons only because. When JVR played the other day, it was almost like he was foreign to the team. Now, I get he hasn't played a lot of games with them, yeah. and I know he's practiced with them, but he's really not playing his role. He's thinking. Yeah. You can see it. Yeah. And, and Wayne Simmons sort of still plays the role that JVR could mm-hmm. be playing. And so I think it's addition by subtraction that way, because I think you get more offense from, mm-hmm. from JVR the minute you get rid of Simmons. Who you already committed to. But, and I know this is where Flyers fans will worry, the toughness level just goes way down the minute you lose Simmons. And so the next guy you get, I still would want to be like Ryan Kessler tough, mm-hmm. but with a little more tread in the tire than a Kessler, but that kind of player yeah. that could do like a Corey Perry if he were healthier. Hold like, some other teams accountable. Yeah. Well, well here's the thing, though, too. Um, you got to look at the usage of Wayne Simmons. Third-line player at this point. Not on the number 1 power play. Already hitched their wagon to JVR with that signing in the offseason for five years. The writing's kind of on the wall, isn't it? it? It is, and also it's it's holding up, and this is something else that I had to answer for this week, Nolan Patrick's development, because even though I wasn't thrilled about Patrick last year being the guy in front of the net on the power play, I kind of got used to it because I said, all right, you know what? If he's okay with it, I'm okay with it. But he's not getting that opportunity that much this year, so his points are down. We're starting to see a little more flash out of him and a lot more finesse in his game, but that part of his game... He's got guys in front of him. And, yeah. you know, you get rid of Simmons, then all of a sudden that. It opens up a lane for him. It opens up a lane for him. And that's a big deal because. His creativity down there. That lane has a much higher ceiling than whatever you're oh. getting out of Wayne Simmons. Both short and long term. Right. His uh, 200 foot game has gotten much better, too. His it has. back pressure ability. But he always was a good 200. Smart I, again, we just, yeah, we weren't seeing a completely healthy guy with a completely healthy, trained offseason. Like he said when he came in this year, this was the first offseason that he wasn't really dinged up. And he, this is the first time he could really train like an elite hockey player. And yeah. And it shows. Yeah, and you can see it in the skating as well. Um, let's talk about Dave Haxtall real quick because, yeah. you know, this town in Philadelphia, they uh, they always want to hashtag fire Haxtall. Right. Um, and we've seen now four coaches be dismissed and in varying circumstances. Is Dave Haxtall safe right now? No, because 
I think it will take... I hear that sound. That's people cheering that are anti-vax. <laughs> I, I think it's going to be weeks and maybe months if they were to hold on to Hackstall to see if there's even going to be improvement on the power play and the penalty kill. Because it's going to go up and down, right? Right mm-hmm. now, it's a little bit of an up cycle last couple games. Penalty kill, I'm not sure, but power play is. Yeah, penalty kill, no. But They gave up three the other day. But for the most part, if you look at the guys that they have on that team, take away the penalty kill because maybe they don't have all the right guys there. There is no reason on the power play that that shouldn't be an elite power play in this league. It is dumb. It, it just dumbfounds me that the they're not. The second unit should be pretty good, too. Right. You know? They're loaded with talent there. Mm-hmm. But, again, you've got a guy like Voracek that sometimes does his own thing. And, and I heard something ridiculous from somebody saying, well, I would trade Jake Voracek. Well, you know, that's great. But to trade Jake Voracek is one of the most untradeable contracts, and Flyers aren't going to hold on to money for that. So that's not going to happen. So you need to almost get a coach in there that can get Voracek into the, back into the program, back being an 80-point guy, because he's not an 80-point guy right now. Yeah, and, and the turnovers are an issue with him. Yeah. You know, blind backhand passes across the— And it's just a philosophy on this team— on the power play. It's, you know, again, Giroux was shooting a little bit more last year. He's now shooting a little less. He feels like he has to get everybody involved. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not working. Sometimes they play just on one side. Like, it's unbelievable. Oh, it's so tilted to Giroux's yeah. side of the ice. Yeah. It's that's just why crazy. they like Konechny on that right side because right. now listen, you got a right hand shot to right. it. It opens up how you can look at the ice from that side. But you could see where other teams can easily game plan against oh, them. Yeah. They collapse on it and they tried to move yeah. Couturier out of that top of the circle position right. and move him down closer to net front. And yeah. they, they had a little bit of success with a couple of redirects and high yeah. tips, but uh, so overall. So when I see the team philosophy is flawed, and again, and I've heard it in a lot of different places, and I think it's valid, what is the identity of this Flyers yeah, team? Yeah, that's the big question. I've, I At the carnival the other day, I interviewed about 19 players. I asked them all what, what, what the identity is, and they don't have it yet. See, and... Back when I was in the corporate world, remember, you know, you would have that mission statement. It would be hanging up in the back. Yep. and Framed n- up. Nobody knows the mission statement. That's like the first rule. Yeah. So that, that to me, is a little crazy. And I think the that's... The home record is an indication of a lack of identity. Yeah, the home record is, is that. That's what I think will get Dave Haxtell canned eventually quicker than anything is because, if nothing else, you've got to win these home games. Gritty can't carry the home games himself. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of empty seats in there, frankly, right now. <laughs> right. Uh, the the other part of it with the Flyers, and we'll stay there for one more second, is Ron Hextall, and if he does decide to make that move and remove Dave Hextall, and it's a guy that he hired, he's obviously going to give him a lot of rope, and he went out on a limb by going college coach when nobody else was doing that. Who were possible guys that would be a fit for not only this team system-wise, but also to work alongside Ron? Um, Mike Stuthers, I think it's Mike, right, uh, who's the Ontario Reign head coach. He wouldn't be jumping in there this year. You, you would have... Um, give him a full camp in offseason. Yeah, you give him a... Yeah. Do an interim. Yeah, you, you would have uh, Scott Gordon jump in there this year. But he is a guy that is known for developing young talent. Dean Lombardi is still around, mm-hmm. you know? I think I know one person that has seen Dean Lombardi this year, so I know he's still around. He has, you know, input here. Hextall knows him, mm-hmm. right? They won a championship together. Yeah, worked hand in hand. So I, I think he would be the number one candidate, to be honest, because I, I don't think it's about getting the flashy, you know, Joel Quenville there. I think it's about getting the guy that's advancing the young players forward, and not enough of them 
have advanced forward this year. Matter of fact, you would say probably a few have taken steps back, and that's not good for this team. Now, when people kill Hextall, again, I want to tell you, go back to when the Flyers had no prospects. Go back to when the player development was broken. I go back to the first camp rookie camp that Ron Hextel had, and I've been going to rookie camp forever. I go almost every day. And I walked in there, and they were doing the training, and they were doing it early, the testing, rather. Mm-hmm. And they were doing, they had all the equipment laid out. They had the high jump and everything else. And I was noticing how high Sam Moran was jumping, and I was kind of like mentally noting what the number was and everything else. And players weren't going to tell me the numbers, and but I got a good feel for what they were testing for, and then we saw more on the ice and and a lot more off-ice stuff. Then the next year, they added another layer, mm-hmm. but the, the other layer was also, that equipment wasn't out there anymore when I got there first day, so they, <laughs> mm-hmm. they didn't like the fact that the media was picking up on that. Yeah, but, but these are improvements that have been made every year, and if you look at the Flyers' camp now, it's one of the best camps in the league. I mean, I see other camps, but... Again, fans want to just go back to, well, what have you done lately? You haven't won anything lately. People have blind faith in this organization. Hockey isn't built overnight. Nobody, it's not the NFL. You can't just pick up a bunch of free agents like you did in the old days and just, you know, win a championship. It doesn't work that way. You can't buy it anymore either. No. In a salary cap league, you've got to be really disciplined. And now people who wanted to rush Carter Hart in, you could see, again, I'm a proponent, a year and a half. Don't touch him for no. a year and a half. Then we'll see what he is. And they've been put to the test with all these goalie injuries already yeah. as well. And it's a shame Brian Elliott out again. And you know, But this is good for Hextall standing pat. Other people from other teams have told me they are impressed with Hextall standing pat and sticking with his philosophy with the young players and the way they're developing. And they are developing. I mean, Isaac Radcliffe looks great. If people haven't seen him in the Canada-Russia series, he looked fantastic. So... There's a lot of good things happening, right? But in Philly, not so much yeah, just yet. Patience is I get exhausted it. at this point. Um, is, is he being looked at? Is who? The job that Ron Hextall is doing, is he being? No. No, I think he's safe. I, I don't think there's an issue there because I think even if, is it Dave Scott? Yeah. I know I haven't ever even met him, like, shaking hands with him. Yeah. I'm not even been sure. around a little bit later, I know. Though. I know. I heard he's been around, and I'm still not sure if I know which guy it is. You're probably getting uh, gummy bears next to him at the uh, concession yeah. stand. Yeah, yeah. But... I think if he were to ask around the league, I still think there's a positive, you know, if, if like you went to Berube and said, hey, what do you think Hextall's doing? And guys that were in the organization that are somewhere else, if yeah. John Stevens comes up for a game, I think it's still a positive thing because if you go look at their prospects and everything else, it's pretty good. The coach is part of player development. Yeah, he no is. Usage the coach and... is like, you know, 45, 50% of that player development model. And if it's not right, it it breaks the uh, the process there, so no, no question about you know. it. Well, interesting times for sure. Let's get to one more thing here right. before we put a wrap on this puppy. Um, one of the things I want to talk about today, as we're at the you know twenty five percent essentially into the season, yeah. is the most impactful either players acquired via trade or free agency around the league. And I want to throw a couple guys at you. We talked about Ryan O'Reilly briefly earlier. Yeah. Um, and you look at a team like Buffalo with Skinner. Right. I mean, to me, he's got to be at the top of that list. He's one or two. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how disregarded he was in, in Carolina. I don't know why things went so bad there in the sense that he must have gone up to him at some point and just said, hey, I want out. Yeah. But we all never know why he wanted out. Did he want out because... 
there's 5,000 fans every night for a game. It's not filled. Did he want out because it didn't look like things were getting better? Like they had a new coach. Didn't believe in new ownership. So I, yeah, there's something very unconventional. Maybe, maybe it was an interview with Tom Dundon that, that said to him, I've got to get out, right? So this was like a huge break. For the for the Buffalo Sabres, I mean, massive. I, I mean, it meant everything to their offseason. Yes, and again, watching him and Eichel last night, three on three, when they beat the Penguins was was huge because that speed that he gives, and and Skinner scored a goal like upper corner with the speed. Yeah. It's great. Now, Buffalo has to re-sign him for this to be a complete success, but I think they'll have a chance. They will have cap space. The Molson money will Team be gone. Come, big time. Matt Molson, remember him? He used to play in the mm-hmm. NHL. He's, he's being hidden in Ontario. <laughs> So I think. So who's your number one then? If it, you said he's either one or two, Elias Lindholm. Okay, another good one. Yeah. I mean, that's I got to look up his points. It's pretty. I mean, and again, you expect it. I think from Jeff Skinner, but I think people were souring on Elias Lindholm, and he is doing great for Calgary. I mean, that again, Calgary made a really good trade there, and maybe Carolina is going to the standings now too. Yeah, and division. maybe and maybe Carolina is going to regret it down the line. He's got 22 points in 21 games, 11 goals, 11 assists. Last year, he had 44 points in 81 games. Wow. So he's way ahead of the pace. Way outpacing Now, remember, he's a highly regarded draft Mm -hmm. pick. Guys take a little bit of time. I mean, he's 23. He's a 23-year-old center, and... They got him in that deal. Yeah, and it changes everything on the dynamic of that team, too. Yeah. It, it just frees up Secondary other guys. scoring for Gaudreau and Monaghan, takes the heat off of them. It's a hell of an acquisition, man. Eric Carlson in San Jose. Not been a good acquisition. No, it's not fitting. It's not fitting. And that's what it is. Now, they're going to wait a little while to see if it fits. At the trading deadline, if it's not fitting, would they trade him? They might. Try and get something, flip something for him, right? Right, because again, they still have... Ottawa couldn't. (laughs) Right. I mean, they may do that. Yeah. Now, they can't flip him to the east or they lose a draft pick because that was part of the contingency. I think that was... So they would have to really trade him out west. After Ottawa got burned with Hoffman. (laughs) Right, but I don't think that's a problem. I think teams would line up still for Eric Carlson. He'll be a a great UFA this offseason because I don't think he's signing with anybody. But... He isn't the same. This is the first year. I've had to defend Eric Carlson for like the last four or five years, but this is the first year he, he's not been Eric Carlson. Yeah, and, and it's a shame because he's one of the most talented players in the league, but it, yeah. sometimes it's just it's a fit thing. Um, John Tavares. Yeah, John Tavares he's is great. massive because, again, with Austin Matthews on the shelf again, mm-hmm. I mean, he has been hurt quite a few times. Uh, this is a big deal. And like last night, you know, Tavares and, and, and Mitch Marner – is pretty awesome. Oh. And those two guys, Marner made a pass last night that was just incredible. But what's even more incredible is Tavares is there to receive it with his stick down. I've never seen a player who keeps his stick down better in traffic than John Tavares. It's one of the most fundamental things, too. It is. It's just like everybody says it. Keep your stick down, keep your stick down, keep your... Yeah. And yet... And everybody wants to take pick their stick up all the time. And But guys are trying to lift your stick up all the time, mm-hmm. too. And you look at John Tavares, and he doesn't look like the strongest guy on the block. But i got to tell you, wrists and hands and forearms, mm-hmm. he's strong as hell. And that has been really a life-saving move for the, for the Leafs because without Matthews, if he didn't have Tavares there, without Nylander, then we'd be talking a little bit of panic. Yeah. Well, and Casper Kapanen's been so good Kapanen's for Kapanen's been really I mean, good. Really, really kind of mitigating any yeah. damage of losing Nylander. New Jersey kid and all. Yeah. And came, <laughs> well, he came, was. came he was. via Pittsburgh. And, uh, um, let me ask no, you, but he was born in New Jersey. That's what I was getting uh, at because of his dad, Sammy. Right? Trans, so. Transient state. Yeah. Uh, Mike Hoffman. 
Mike Hoffman. I mean, he had, when Florida came in, he was on a 13-game point yeah. streak. <laughs> uh, but, but we knew that that was like a slam dunk. Mike and Hoffman, he needed to get out of Ottawa for so many reasons. Yes, and he, and he has all the talent in the world, and it's made such a difference. That team, though, you know, like with Luongo playing right, oh, man. They, they might have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. It's, wow. not, it's not outrageous to say that because if they get the right seeding and Luongo's healthy, he's had the, you know... problem is that division, getting out of that bracket, A, and B, they just lost Trocek with, with a horrific yes. injury. Yeah, but I don't... No, actually, Trocek, they said he's going to be okay. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I thought I saw a headline that says How? he'll be okay. No, no, and that, and but that, I did. That limb did things it should have never done. Yeah, I don't think he's hurt... Well, you heard him screaming on the ice right after it happened. Yeah, I think they said he's going to be okay. So maybe even if he's out a short time, I think they could get past that. Clearly, they couldn't get past having James Reimer in net or Mm. Hutchinson without Luongo. So, again, their defense, it seems like the minute Luongo got back, Ekblad sort of got out of his funk, too. Mm -hmm. He scored his first goal of the year against the Flyers. And and he laughed laughed about it, though, because he said that's the longest he's ever gone in his career without a goal, and he really like, appreciates it now. Like he's a he's a, a really good kid. Like I I've interviewed him in juniors, and and he's very honest. And that was an honest response. But that's a team they could be very very dangerous, and they could still get like another acquisition like a Hoffman. Yeah. Um, okay, I got two more guys that I want to run by. Right. Yara Halak. Yeah. yeah. I know he's considered a backup. But I know. Tuka took a, a bit of a lead, but. You get him off the island, you get him away from the Islanders, and all of a sudden you go, well, Grice can play a little bit now with the, with a new coach in trots, and Halak looks fine. <laughs> For the moment. Yeah, I mean, you need those guys. Though. No, I know, but Halak's so up and down, mm. and and unfortunately Rask had some sort of personal issues that maybe are now behind him. How many fans, I mean, the Bruins fans drive me crazy because the minute a backup, whether it's Kudobin or Halak, oh yeah, he's better than yeah, Rask. expose it's, him if you play him too much. Yeah, it's yeah. like, stop. But but Halak, no, I don't think it's huge. I think it's okay. It was a good move. I don't think it's an earth-shattering move for them. I don't. All right. Um, my It'll be my contention that the most significant off-season move wasn't even a player. It's Barry Trotz. Yeah, Barry Trotz, it's massive. And I've still yet to write this article that I've talked about so much that I may never write it. But Scott Mayfield, who I've covered in juniors, was really honest with me about how their defense works. And it's completely different than what's ever been there for the last four or five years. And what was there the last four or five years was horrific. Yeah. And yeah. they were giving up 20 high-danger scoring chances a game. Yeah. So if we look at their defense, you know, Boychuk's got a lot of mileage. It's mm-hmm. a bad contract, too. Letty, some people were pigeonholing Letty. I like Letty. I think he's great. I don't have a problem with him. But you look at the way they play, and they play the right way. Like Trot, they're Anders in, Lee's a perfect guy for him. Yeah, they're in, they're in perfect concert with Trotz, and, and it makes a difference. And he's got a couple guys in the crease with Nelson and Lee. But they're UFAs. Like, again, I know Islander fans are like, oh, yeah, they're coming back, lose there, no problem. Yeah, easier said than done. In this age, this day and age, it's never a slam dunk Mm -hmm. that a player's coming back. But for this year, right now they're overachieving, and Trotz is the main reason. Yeah. I mean, mean, Matt Barzell doesn't hurt having a guy like that. But I thought there'd be a little bit more of a drop-off with Barzell without Tavares, and so far there hasn't. Who's been the biggest... uh Either trade or signing disappointment. I got a couple of guys. James Neal. Yeah, James Neal. I mean, but he's been sort of trending down for mm-hmm. a few years 30 now. Plus. Yeah, I just. He was on that magical run last year. And then another yeah. guy that's on that team that went on that magical run, Max Pacioretty. But I think he's starting to pick it up. Mm-hmm. I, I'm okay with Pacioretty. There's an adjustment there to playing that in that whole style. team. 
that whole team is going through what they should have gone through last year, this year. And so they have a bit of a hangover. They've got injuries. Stastny's out. Uh, on defense, Nate Schmidt. When does he come back? It's got to be soon. Uh, I think he's back now. Okay, so twenty he's, games ago, right? So, yeah. so that's going to be huge because mm-hmm. that's their number one D man. So, I think once a lot of minutes for him. Yeah. So, I think Pacioretty will be fine. So you think they straighten it out? Yeah. Vegas. Oh yeah. I don't. I don't know. That I think they're, they're a, a bubble team. playoff team. I think they could be that last seed. Yeah. When we get back together next week, we got because American Thanksgiving is that day on the calendar in hockey. What they say: if you're yes. in the playoffs at American Thanksgiving, you have an eighty percent chance to make the postseason. Right. Now teams buck that. Here and there, but sure. things are so tight right now, and there's a lot of what you would think were pretenders in playoff spots. Buffalo, yeah, Ottawa's not playing poorly. No, you look at uh, Montreal, some teams that are just throwing kids out there and say skate your ass off are getting it done. But is that sustainable? It, it, that's the thing. Sustainable is the key word. I still think there's teams, the great teams like the Capitals and such, that are sort of laying in the weeds. They mm-hmm. haven't hit their stride. They not. They're not worried that they haven't hit their stride because it is a long season. So. I always say two or three of those teams in each conference that you think right now are overachieving and could make the playoffs probably won't be there at the end. Yeah. Well, that's going to put a wrap on it, Ross. That was a lot of material. We thank Scott Hartnell for joining us on the 35th episode of the Stick to Hockey podcast. Again, follow Russ on Twitter at Sportsology. The website, too? Yeah, www.sportsology.com, .net, .info. I have a new book, Pioneers of Baseball. It's about the 1890s through the early 1920s. Picture book, right? Picture book. A lot of Phillies and Connie Mack's in there. A lot of... Philly teams. There's a lot of uh, New York teams, too. Uh, absolutely. Check that out. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Mert. Follow the podcast at Stick to Hockey Pod. Leave us a rating and review, if you will, as well. And we'll be back next week for episode 36. i got to figure out a good 36 guy. I'll have to figure that yeah, out. Yeah, not offhand. It's an, it's an odd number, isn't it? It is. All right. Have a great week of hockey, everybody. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. And uh, if you're American, if you're Canadian, enjoy American Thanksgiving as well. We'll talk to you next time.